Welcome to The Well Podcast. We pray that this message ministers to you and blesses you as you listen. tonight. And if I run out of breath, I get really winded. (laughs) Unfortunately, it comes with the territory. (laughs) Um, Okay, so before I get started, I did want to take a minute just to pray as well. Um, I think that's a really important piece to what I have tonight. So, Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for placing this word within me allowing me to release it here at the well you and i pray holy spirit that it not be me speaking but you speaking through me that you would fill me with your presence and that we could all receive something from you in this time so i thank you for it and i praise you in jesus name amen okay so like becky said i'm tori um and yes my husband is here with me so Just a little bit about me. I have two, we have two amazing daughters, um, Dawson and Reagan. And obviously, I hope it's obvious I didn't eat a bunch of donuts or anything on the way here. Um, I'm pregnant with our third child. About halfway there, we're due in April. We're mostly me. I'm doing all the work. Um, So yeah, that's that's our family. I currently work for Change Healthcare. It's an information technology company that works with healthcare systems organizations. I'm a product analyst, and I work in the product management field. So it's very different from, you know, the things that I'm learning here at church, but I love it. Uh, It keeps me on my toes, that's for sure. No day is the same in my job. And I'm also... um, one of the leads here at the well, I work or I oversee the IT area, uh, including social media and the website, all that good stuff. So I am involved here as well. Um, all right. And then tonight, you guys have the handouts. So I wanted to start with some questions. And they're not questions that we have to answer. You don't need to raise your hand or anything. They're more um, food for thought. They, I had heard them in a sermon that I was listening to by David Pawson. He is very well known for his teachings on unlocking the Bible. And I really, really fell in love with how he talks about the Bible um, and the way he challenges congregations. So these, the questions that I have written down We'll just read through them real quickly. Our one, how many people believe the Bible is the word of God? And in the one sermon that I watched him give these questions, most of the congregation raised their hand that, yes, the Bible is the word of God. And the second one was, how many of you believe it is the most important book anyone could read? And again, most of the hands went up in this uh, teaching he was doing. The third question is, how many of you have read it? Not pieces of it, not verses, but read it in general, the whole thing. And a lot of the hands went down. (laughs) And it was, he kind of, he giggled through it, you know, like he wasn't surprised. And I, at the time, was like, yeah, I can't raise my hand for that. 
Um, the fourth question is, how many of you have read any other book right through? Like, oh, okay, hand back up. I have. I've read several books from start to finish, but the Bible I had not. And then how many of you are going to read it, all of it? And he put in a fact that if you read three chapters every day and five on Sundays, you can get through it in 12 months. So kind of going off of what Becky said earlier, I had reached out to her about the well you and reading the Bible. I actually emailed her during a service. That's how impatient I was. And said, hey, do you guys think you would ever do this if God led you to teaching it? And it was something that I had felt him kind of putting on me for a long time to ask, um, longer than I care to admit sort of thing. (laughs) But I finally had the courage and reached out. And she responded and said, is that something you want to (laughs) teach? And I'm kind of embarrassed by this, but my response to that was, I don't know how to answer that. I am no teacher. I, you know, had just read the word. I'm not a scholar. I don't have a biblical education. All of these things started kind of going through my mind. And so it just kind of like went silent. You know, I didn't pursue it after that. I didn't pressure anything. And after some time, I get a text message from her and she asked if I would leave tonight. Immediately I said yes. And then those thoughts started to come back, and I was like, oh, no, what have I done? What did I say yes to? Um, But after I had given my yes, I went right to prayer. And I asked the Lord, what is living in the Word? What is that? You know, is it reading the Bible? Is it, you know, how, just what is that? And I heard John 1. And that was a piece of scripture that I had recently become familiar with. And it really um, confused me for a while. But I have it here. It's in your papers as well. So I'm going to read it out of the AMP version because I'm currently obsessed with that one. So that's what you get tonight. In the beginning, before all time, was the Word, Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God himself. All things were made and came into existence through him. And without him, not even one thing was made that has come into being. In him was life and the power to bestow life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines on in the darkness, and the darkness did not understand it or overpower it or appropriate it or absorb it. And and is unresponsive to it. And that's verses 1 through 5. So the, the key piece that I got out of that the first time I, I read it was, was verse 1. In the beginning, before all time, was the word Christ. And the word was with God, and the word was God himself. So when I asked the Lord, what is living in the word? Well, it's living in Christ. That was the simplest answer that God gave me. It's living in Christ. And so if we jump down to verse 14 in John 1, It says, and the word Christ became flesh and lived among us, and we actually saw his glory, glory as belongs to the one and only begotten son of the father. And at the time, in my ignorance, I guess, I didn't even know what the word begotten meant. So I 
DuckDuckGo'd it. I don't Google. I DuckDuckGo. And uh, it is the past participle of bigot, which means to produce, generate, to father. To create life, there has to be what? Love. And Christ is love. There are many examples of that in the word. The biggest example of that is the cross, and that's just my opinion. He gave his all. He was mutilated and just torn to pieces and then hung on a cross because he loved us so much. He died, and then, praise God, he rose again for us, for the amount of love that he had, you know, towards each and every one of us. So if we're to live in the word, we should know who Christ is. Because if Christ is love and we want to live in the word, we have to know who he is, what he did. And in my years of Christianity, the churches I've previously gone to, the main focus is the New Testament because that's where he's flesh and bone, which we see in John 14. But at the beginning of John, it says, in the beginning. So preparing for tonight, I was curious and started researching how many times in the beginning comes up in the Bible in that particular order. Those words come up very frequently, but in that order, I only found two instances. It was in John 1 and in Genesis 1. So to me, I perceive that as we have to know from start to finish because Jesus is not just in the New Testament. He's physically in the New Testament, but he is, he is littered throughout the entire Bible. So in further research, I had found also a chart that puts the Bible in chronological order, which is my favorite way to read the Bible. That's actually how I read it the first time I read it from start to finish was chronologically. And it had put John 1 before Genesis 1, which I found extremely interesting because in John 1, what he's saying is that Christ existed before the beginning. And everything, and this was huge revelation for me. <laughs> I remember the night that I, that it hit me, I was texting my dad all of this. I blew up his phone. He was really annoyed with me the next day. But I was like, whoa, did you know? Like, have you thought about this? Have you received this, this food that Christ was there and then everything came out through Christ? And um, it just, it blew my mind. I, gosh, I can't even, sorry, I get so excited about the word because it's so good. Once you dive into it and you really, you really take the time to read it, it's just something, for me at least, I could not put down. And I still can't. You know, I find something new about it each and every day. Um, so anyway, back to, back to what I have for tonight. So to live in the Word is to know the Word. And to know the Word is to know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And how do we do that? Well, we need to read the Bible. We have to read the text. So again, on the pages I printed out, I have a couple of sections, and we'll jump into those. The first one is ways to read the Bible. I wrote down a couple of different ways, five actually, of how we can read the Bible. And there are probably more ways than this. There are just some that, that I've I know of. So the first one, and like I said, is my favorite, is chronological order. Chronological order is the order in which 
historians believe the Bible took place based on Hebrew history. And then, you know, in the New Testament, you include all of Paul's walkings, etc. So they've, they've written it in the best order that they know it to be in. The second thing I have written down is read it as it is. So from Genesis to Revelation, you open the Bible and you just start to read. And there's nothing wrong or right about any of these ways. You have to find what works best for you is what I've discovered. The third thing that I have, and I call this the mystery read, is you take a Bible or your phone app and you flip to a book or a page or a verse and you just start reading from there. I don't think that's the most conducive way to read the Bible, but it is a way that you could read the Bible if you were so inclined. The fourth way is in alphabetical order. So you could start with Acts, let's say, and then go to Zechariah or you know whatever your heart desired, but you could read it in alphabetical order. And then the fifth is to focus on it by category. So maybe you start with the Old Testament narratives or the books of poetry, the prophets, the gospels, revelation, and you approach it from that, that perspective. For me, and this is a little bit of my testimony, for years I had claimed that the Bible was above me. It didn't make sense. Whenever I opened it, I got a good nap in, <laughs> things like that. I... I claimed that for myself, you know, and it, I did it my whole life. I would try to read it, and I'd get to, like, numbers and be like, what is this book saying? <laughs> and so last year, around June, I felt like the Lord was telling me, Tori, just read it. And I responded with how. How am I going to read this? Because before, it, it honestly hasn't made sense. And if I read it, I want to understand it. It's a big book. It's 66 books in one, and it's a lot of pages, a lot of words. If I read it, I want to know what I'm reading. And that's when he said, read it in chronological order. So I did, and it was phenomenal. I ended up reading it in six months on a 12-month plan. I couldn't put it down. It was, it was the food that I ate for six months, and it was so good. And the, the interesting thing was I found that in every piece that I was reading, something in my life at that time fit into what I was reading. So, for example, um, last year in August, my husband, Scott, is a football coach, and he's the varsity football coach, which takes up a lot of time. And uh, our girls got hand, foot, and mouth. And at the time, Reagan was one and Dawson was three. Well, it hit Reagan really hard. She would thrash on the ground in pain. It was horrible to witness. And at the time, what I was reading in the Word was the book of Job, or as I used to say, Job. <laughs> Wayne and Becky had to very politely correct me, and my husband, <laughs> which is okay. Um, but I was, I was reading that, that piece of the Bible at the time, and looking back now, I'm like, wow, that carried me through. The trials and the testing that he went through, the things that he lost, he still stood firm in God through all of that. 
And so during that time, that's what I had to apply to myself. No matter what I walked through, no matter how bad it got for my one-year-old, I had to stand firm in what the Lord was telling me. So that continuously happened as I read the word of God. It constantly applied to areas of my life, and that blew me away. And I think that's why he said read it in chronological order, because he knew in those moments I would need to rely on him. And in relying on him, I went to his word. So the next area I have in your handout is tips for reading the Bible. Because it is a big, it is a big book, and it can be intimidating. The first tip that I have is to pray. Always pray. For me, when I would start to read, and I still do this today, not as often as I would or should, but I ask for the Holy Spirit to impart wisdom on me, to open my heart, to receive what I'm about to read, so that I can be as receptive as possible to the Word of God. Because in that, I'm going to find more revelation. He will unveil more to me than if I were to just pick it up and read it as if it were a story. The second thing I have written down, and if I'm going too fast, I can always come back later. If you miss something, just let me know. The second thing I have written down is journal. And this is, I think, easier said than done, especially if you're a parent. Um, but as you read through the word, God is going to give you revelation. He's going to honor what you are doing. And in that, you should be journaling it because it may, like me walking through what I did last August, if I journal that and then let's say a year from now or two years from now, need to go back and reference, I can again stand firm in the revelation that the Lord has spoken to me through his word. And I'm, if I note those things, I, I'm not going to forget them later because we, you know, other things may come up or whatnot. So journaling is a great way to stay in the word and then jot down that revelation that you'll receive. The third thing I have is to meditate. And I don't mean like yoga and namaste. <laughs> when I say meditate, I'm referring to digesting of the Bible. So if you read something... Don't just jump to the next thing, but take in what you've read. Let it really run through you so that you get the most out of it as possible. I had heard a pastor in a, in a sermon I watched on YouTube last year talk about meditating on the Word of God, and he said, you know, if there's a feast laid before you, you're not just going to go up and eat and eat and eat and eat. You're going to go up, you're going to eat a little bit, let it sit, and then maybe go up a little bit later, eat some more. And that's exactly what the Lord tells us he does, that he sets a, a table before our enemies where we can freely eat from it. So what we eat, we should also be digesting. We need to take out the good and let the bad be expelled. And I think that that's really important when we're going through the word of the Lord as well, is to, to make sure we spend that time meditating. The fourth point that I have, or the fourth tip, is to find your groove. So when I, when I say find your groove, I mean what works for Pastor Wade or Kathy or even my husband probably isn't going to work for me. 
the way that they read it or the way that they journal or the way that they pray isn't going to work as well for me. I need to find what works for me. God created each of us uniquely in his image. And in that uniqueness, we perceive things differently. And I think, you know, in finding your groove, you have to understand how you perceive the Bible, how God speaks the Bible to you. And when that happens, and when you start to use that as a tool for yourself, you will uncover more of the Bible. And the last thing I have, which is probably going to be Becky's favorite, <laughs> is to ask questions. <laughs> I think asking questions is a great thing. Um, it brings me back to like elementary school when the teachers always said, don't be afraid to ask questions because, you, you know, you never know who else has the same question. Um, so always ask questions. When I ask questions, the first the first thing I do is I ask God. And poor God, I ask a lot of questions. Um, you know, it's, it, when I was preparing this, it brought to my mind our four-year-old. She's a very inquisitive. Karen's shaking her head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's very, very inquisitive. She wants to know. So when she asks you one question, she will ask you 20 more. And that's how I think the Lord wants us to be with him. We're his sons and his daughters. Why would it be different? You know, he wants us to go to him with those questions. And again, from my, my experience and my belief, he will answer them. It just may not be in our time. It's not going to be like you ask a question and two seconds later you get an answer. And the answer may come in the most weird way possible. You know, it could be from somebody who doesn't even know God answering a godly question for you. So always ask questions. And in that, a word to the wise is make sure the person you're asking, after you ask God, if you go to, you know, your pastors or a friend, make sure it's a trusted source. If, personally, I would not go to somebody who may not believe in God and ask them a godly question because what I get back may not be the truth. So when you ask, just be cautious of who you're asking and what you're receiving back. If you don't, if that answer doesn't settle well in your spirit, pray to God and ask him if that was the answer he intended for you. And if not, let it go, because it's not for you to keep at that point. <clears throat> so um, if I jump down... We will, I'll come back to the things to be cautious of in a few minutes. Um, oh, and before I forget, I did make note of some scripture in there that I thought was helpful um, and encouraging for reading the word. So, all right. So, one of the things that I had talked about earlier was how, as I read, the Bible for myself, God walked me through, you know, I was connecting with these biblical characters, and one of the scriptures that had come to mind, which I think is a great example of that, is Psalm 23, and Pastor Wade actually spoke on this, was it last Sunday, um, or a couple Sundays ago, and I wanted to read that really quick, because I think that that, I think Psalm 23 really encompasses 
what I went through and walked through as I read the Bible, and it's a very common piece of scripture, but, and again, this is out of AMP. The Lord is my shepherd to feed, to guide, and to shield me. I shall not want. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still and quiet waters. He refreshes and restores my soul, my life. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the sunless valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod to protect and your staff to guide. They comfort me and console me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed and refreshed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell forever throughout all my days in the house and in the presence of the Lord. And I think that this is so applicable to when we read the Bible because it, like it says up here, his rod to protect, his staff to guide. The Bible is our tool. It equips us against the enemy. We see that in Ephesians when we can place the armor of God upon ourselves. It's, I mean, that's throughout the Bible, but Psalm 23, it's always spoken to me. I find it very, very empowering in how he talks about no matter what we're going through, he's with us. Whether it's peace or whether it's darkness, he's there. And I think that as we read the word, that becomes even more obvious. <clears throat> he knows what he's doing. He is good, and he will carry us through everything. And even on the days when we stumble, and I have in here in bold letters, and I stumble hard, because I do, <laughs> yet his grace is always more than enough, and it's never-ending. Part of my testimony that I've written in here is that one day in service, I think it was, um, Brittany came up to me, and I had been praying, I'd been going through stuff, and she said to me, stop living like you're a slave to him and start living like you're his daughter. And that was huge. That, um, that spoke volumes to me. And it brought me to Luke 8, 43, which is the story of um, the woman with blood. And that, that story continuously comes up to me, and I think it's because it's a good reminder for me personally, but... That in that story, and I have some of it written here, this woman is plagued with health problems for years, 12 years, actually. And in every gospel that it's spoken of, they always call her the woman of blood or the woman with blood. She doesn't have a name. No one has written her name. It's not historically documented what her name was. And um, so starting at verse 46, she had just touched him, and Jesus stops and he says, Someone touched me because I was aware that power to heal had gone, of, gone out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came up trembling and fell down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her, daughter, your faith, your personal trust and confidence in me has made you well. Go in peace. 
that, the way that he spoke to her, she was so unclean at the time, and he was so holy. And he didn't condemn her. He didn't look down upon her. He called her a daughter. And when that revelation came to me, it, it was life-changing, honestly. Um, because for years, and, and this is just you know how I grew up, the church I grew up in, if you sin, you're going to hell. Sin is bad. You have to do all of these things before you're forgiven, this, that, and the other. All she did was touch him. <laughs> Why is it that we have so many you know, rituals or whatever you want to call it that we have to go through in order to be healed, to be made clean, and to be called a son or a daughter? We, we really don't. We just have to reach out for him. We have to touch him, and, and all of that happens. And so that, that word and the way that it was phrased to me has stuck with me and it's helped encourage me in how I've read the Bible and how I've continued to learn and study the Bible. Because the first thing, you know, when I went through it, I just read it. I wanted to get through it. I wanted to get a good understanding of all of the stories in it. And now I'm going back and I'm taking the time to study it and to, to really get in the weeds of it. Um, you know, part of me wishes, and actually not wishes, that's bad wording. Part of me prays that one day I'll have the opportunity to go and study the Bible and to receive a degree for it. Because I have just become so hungry for it and understanding who God is. Not that we really can. He wants us. He wants to be a mystery to us. Um, but I, I want to know as much as I can, and not just for myself, but in the upbringing of our children and in the generations to come, in the people I meet, in the friends or, you know, random people at the grocery store I may interact with. If I'm equipped and I can speak to the word of the Lord and how it's impacted me in reading it, that may help somebody else. That will help bring people to the kingdom of God. And that's what we're called to do. So, last piece that I have in, your, in the handout is things to be cautious of. The first one is the world. And that's a pretty bold statement. <laughs> be cautious of the world. But we live in a world of sin. It's everywhere, and some days it feels unavoidable. And when I say to be cautious of the world, be cautious of the things you put in front of you, whether it's people, places, events, be cautious of that because those things will impact not just your life, but they will impact how you perceive the world. Or not the world, I'm sorry, the Bible. The second thing I have listed is the accuser. Quite honestly spoken, the devil. Be cautious of him. Be aware that he's there. Don't let him become more than he is as you read the Bible, but know that he is still there. He's still here, moving, working. This is his kingdom because sin has entered our world. He thinks that he has free reign. As Christians, we know better. He doesn't, and that took long time for me to come to terms with that. 
I have more authority with Christ in me knowing the word than he has over me. And even, and this kind of blew me away at first, but he was in the garden and he, he's, again, throughout the Bible, he's very good at telling the truth at the same time he's telling a lie. And so when I say be cautious and aware of him, that's what I'm talking about. You may go to a church, I know I have in the past, where they are not speaking the full truth. They may be getting fed things that are not the word of the Lord. And in some cases, that could be the devil speaking to them, feeding them the truth with the lie. The lie is what we need to be aware of. So always be cautious of that. I pray and have had prayed over me an increase in discernment, which is a spiritual gift. I pray that for all of you, that as you read the word, you're not being fed lies at the same time that God would protect you, and that you would have discernment to know when you are receiving a lie, because then you have the authority to shut it down. The third thing I have is the single verse reading. I'm put to be cautious of this because it can be very misleading. The example I have is kind of comical to me. Um, it's from 1 Corinthians 14. 34 through 35, and I'll read just this verse. Um, it says, women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they should be submissive just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. The first time I read that, man, did I get fired up. <laughs> I was not happy the first time I read that piece of scripture. I was so upset about it, actually, that after church one day, I kind of cornered poor Daryl in the parking lot and said, what the heck does that mean? I was like, how offensive is that? And I cannot believe that would be in the, in the Bible. And he really checked me, and he was like, well... Who is he writing to? Who is Paul writing to? Is he writing to Tori? Is he, you know, is he talking directly to you? And what he, what Daryl did in that moment, which I respect greatly, is he made me take a step back and not just look at the verse, but to look at the, the big picture, the letter as a whole. Who was Paul talking to? He was talking to the women of Corinth. And then Daryl went on further to tell me, you know, how historians are able to perceive the women of that time. He compared it to, like, the women of Beverly Hills today. <laughs> they have a lot of opinion, and, you know, their way is the right way. And so when I say to be cautious of the single-verse reading, that is what I am speaking about. Beware, because that piece can be extremely misleading if you read it as is. But if you look at the letter in its entirety and you, you, tr you take the time to figure out who that author is writing to, it will help you understand more. Your perception of the situation will get bigger. Your understanding and your wisdom will also grow. So be cautious of the single verse reading. 
The last thing, or not the last thing, I'm sorry, the fourth thing that I have is what you feed yourself. And I don't mean like physically, <laughs> like if you eat a hamburger or something, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, but what you feed yourself outside of church is the music you're listening to going to encourage your biblical reading or is it encouraging demonic things? Is the TV that you're watching encouraging your biblical reading and understanding or is it encouraging demonic things? What are you feeding yourself when you're not in the Bible? And if I'm being honest, I'm not always the best at feeding myself the best things that will encourage the word of God and for God to speak to me. And the last one I have is teachings. And this one is can be a little bit tricky, and I pray it's not misunderstood. But when I say teachings, I'm talking about what church you attend. And it's not, you know, to this church, but I myself have been to churches where what they preach is more important than what the Lord is speaking in the Bible. A lot of false teachings can come out of that, and that's something Paul cautions about is false teachers, false prophets, so beware of where you go to receive the word. Are they encouraging you to read the Bible? Prior to the well, I've gone to a lot of churches in my life. None of them have encouraged me to read the word. Not, not a single one. I did not read the Bible until I was 28 years old. Why is that? Why are, are there not more churches saying, don't just come on Sunday Read the Bible at home. Know it for yourself so that when you come on Sunday, I can help encourage you and lift you up. From my experience, that's not happening as often as it should be. So beware of the teachings you're receiving, especially, especially, especially on YouTube. I've fallen down a number of rabbit holes of very conservative Christian teachings and very charismatic Christian teachings, and it gets really confusing. There's a lot, a lot out there, so beware of what you are taking in from the teachings. So those were the, five, the three pieces that I had on reading the Word, and following, going through, like, what I actually wanted to teach on tonight, I wanted to share some of my testimony, um, which is not the happiest of testimonies in some cases, but praise God I'm where I am now. So I, um, when I was about 12, started going to a church, and um, I knew Jesus. The youth pastor there was phenomenal. She was great. And I knew in going to that church that I wanted Jesus in my life. At the time, I remember the service that I accepted Christ. Um, they had set up this huge thing for all of the students to watch. It, they had a jar, and she, you know, the pastor was putting in like ketchup and all this gross stuff in a jar, representing the sin of our life. And following that, he got a ton of water. It was a lot of water, and started dumping the water in the jar. And as he dumped water in, all this yuck came out. And he dumped so much water in that at the end, it was a clear 
glass of water. You could see through it. And that was representation of what Jesus does for us. He cleans us out so we're pure. It was a mess, the whole thing. <laughs> they had tarps everywhere because it was a disaster. But that spoke a lot to me. And at that time, I was like, holy cow, I need that. Like, I need that guy in my life, you know? But I was still so young that I didn't really know who he was, what he did, why he did it, all of that stuff. And um, so I ended up in my heart praying, you know, Lord, I, I want that. I want you to, to clean me out. And um, he did. But at the same time, it wasn't, wasn't a very deep cleaning. So I, uh, as a child, had nightmares. I had a lot of nightmares. And um, they, my dreams, my poor husband gets to listen to them all the time. <laughs> so does Becky. <laughs> but um, I had a lot of terrible nightmares to the point that I would sleep with the light on under a bunch of blankets thinking it was protecting me. And I, I never really slept as a kid because they were so... Um, real to me. And if you ask my mom, she'll tell you that the nightmares, I, I would have dreams even as an infant. Um, and so when I accepted Christ at that age, the nightmares very quickly got worse. And uh, it, they, quite honestly, they tormented me um, because it wasn't like you would wake up and they would be done. It was stuff that I lived with all day long. And then it was like, oh, got to try and sleep tonight, only to have another nightmare. Um, not only that, but in my parents, my childhood home, there was a lot of spiritual activity. Um, some people may not agree with this, but this is what I had walked through. Um, before we, my parents bought the house, somebody had died in it. And there was this running joke that Judy lived in our house. And, you know, it was so nice, Judy the ghost or whatever. Little did my family know that that was more real for me than they would have expected. I could not go in areas of my house. It was horrible. Um, I like, couldn't go in the basement by myself. And if I did, I would run down really quick, flick all the lights on, take a quick look around. And then when I was done, I'd bolt back up the stairs, leaving the lights on, only to get yelled at later for leaving the lights on. Um, it was horrible for me, actually. And so you mix that with all these dreams. And who, who is Jesus? You know, I gave my life to this guy, but where is he? He's supposed to be my savior. So the worst that these dreams and this pressure got. I distanced myself from the Lord. And as I grew up, you know, you, as kids, you experiment and you want to be cool and whatnot. So, of course, you know, and part of my testimony is, unfortunately, I partook in drugs at a very young age to very alarming levels. Sorry, mom, if you're listening. <laughs> um, and it, it was bad. Um, it, it was really bad for quite a while. I also got involved in a relationship that I should not have been involved in. It ended up becoming uh, very abusive. I broke off the relationship only for what I now recognize was sexual abuse. Um, you know, they were 
very mean behind my back, and I found out. And then I allowed the individual to continue to pursue me in a way they should not, especially when my parents weren't around. And it, it got so bad that there was one day I, I broke. I remember sitting on my little flip phone, just trying to text them away, like, stop, don't bother me anymore. We're done. I broke this off. And they wouldn't. They wouldn't stop. And I, I texted back because I attribute this to the Lion of Judah. I had accepted Christ. He was there. I just didn't know he was there. And in this one moment, all of a sudden came out of me this rage. And I said, if you do not leave me alone, I'm going to tell your mom. And he didn't. He continued to try and pursue me. So I packed up, drove over to his parents' house, very kindly knocked on the door and said, hey, uh, can we chat for a minute? And I told his mother everything. Oh, man, she was not happy. Probably because I overshared. I tend to overshare. Um, but yeah, she was disgusted. And I got home, and I had one message, and it said a lot of not nice words in it. Um, but I never heard from that individual again. And looking back at that now, that was, that was Jesus. That was the Holy Spirit, the Lion of Judah in me saying, put your foot down. You're stronger than this. You don't need to take this abuse. So I end up, um, you know, I went to college and I didn't, college was pretty boring for me, honestly. <laughs> I didn't really get out and do like the typical college partying and all of that. Um, but I did run into Scott again. He and I had met years prior on a mission trip. And <laughs> at that point, I had fallen in love with him, um, and I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that he would be my husband one day. And unfortunately for me at the time, he had a girlfriend, <laughs> and he was very polite and said, can't do this. I got a girlfriend, Tori, and I was like, oh, man, but you're supposed to be mine. <laughs> I prayed. <laughs> and so in college, you know, we we reconnected on Facebook, and... Obviously, the rest is history. We're now married. But it, um, again, it was a moment that after I've walked through what I've walked through, I can look back and see that God was there. When I didn't know it, when I wasn't in my faith, he was still there, and he was still working and answering my prayers. And uh, so fast forward to our marriage. A couple months after we got married, we moved out to the west side of the state. Originally, we're from the Detroit area. And I knew nothing about this side of the state. I didn't even know the school he was applying for was a, a town in Michigan. <laughs> um, but we moved out here, and I was lacking something. I didn't know what it was, and I didn't know how to fix it, but I was missing something. The first year we lived out here, we rented a house. And then we, after that first year, we ended up buying our first home together, and I always tell people, we walked in with drunk goggles to this house. We walked in, we were like, oh, this is the coolest house ever. It's so awesome. And then the day before closing, we did a final walkthrough, and there was dry, the wallpaper hanging from the walls. And, like, just, it was a disaster. And I was like, what did we do? <laughs> like, we have to move in here tomorrow. You know, we're closing on this place. But again, the Lord was so good. 
He was so good because in that house was where we met Kathy. And had I not met Kathy, I doubt I'd be here today. Kathy, when I started um, having her do my hair, I think immediately the Holy Spirit was like, she's missing me. She's craving me and she doesn't know it. And so after Kathy found the well, she got me to come. And like Becky had said at the beginning, um, I came to a service in January. And then after that, (laughs) Kathy texted me and was like, Pastor Becky wants to meet you. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) It's a little nerve wracking when the pastor calls you out, you know. And uh, so we met and I was supposed to only like go to your house for an hour or so. And I ended up being there for like four hours plus and just word vomited my life story on Pastor Becky. Um, And I had told her, you know, about my dreams and the nightmares that I had had. And I remember there was one dream in particular I shared with you. Um, In this dream, I was in a very dark basement, and I could feel um, a demonic presence around me in this basement. And there were stairs, and all of a sudden down the stairs came this white, I can't even explain how glorious, but this white man couldn't see his face. They saw from the hips down, but he was glowing and he was radiant. And he walked over to me and he put his arm around my shoulder. And I knew who it was for years, but I was always too afraid to admit it. Because who dreams about that individual? You know, I thought that was just bizarre. I was crazy for it. And I told her and she looked at me and she was like, it's okay, you can say who it was. And I was like, that was Jesus. Like, he came to me. He had always been there, and he always will be there. And even in my darkest moments, like Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. He was always with me. And the devil knew he could get to me in my sleep. I was weakest when I was asleep. I was the most vulnerable There were times as a child that I would have a horrible nightmare and I would start speaking the word of God, even though I didn't know it. I didn't know where it was coming from, but I would start speaking it. And uh, so after I had met with Becky, I continued to come, you know, to the well. And that February, I went to PNP one night and it was the most powerful service I've ever been to. at, at that service, I remember Daryl telling us, you know, I think we, we could all line up and, like, link arms, you know, show our strength and our authority. And several people, I think actually maybe all of us, were praying in tongues. And that was something that I had received previously, but I kept private because, again, like, who am I? That's in the churches I grew up with. That's not allowed. You don't do that. It's old. You know, it's not how God works anymore, all of that stuff. But it came out of me, and I was worshiping, and I just felt something different that I had never previously felt. And that night, I knew, I knew the Lord was telling me to go home and equip my house, pray over my house. I'm like, okay. So I borrowed some, some oil from the church, and I blessed my house before I even walked in it. And that night was horrible for me. I had the worst migraine I've ever had in the middle of the night, and I was praying it was my dog, but my dog was sleeping at my feet. I heard somebody walking down my hallway, and I just, I remember laying there wide awake. I had to turn the light on and just saying Jesus 
all night long. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Because when we say his name, darkness has to flee. And I woke up the next day. I texted Kathy and I said, can you come pray in my house with me? Because I'm thinking like, gosh dang it, those spirits have followed me to my new house. And she was, unfortunately, she was busy, but she said, why don't you reach out to Pastor Becky? And that day, actually, Pastor Becky so graciously came over to my house and prayed with me in my house. Um, And at the end of it, (laughs) looks at me and was like, Tori, I don't think it's the house. (laughs) And I was like, oh no, I knew it was coming. She very, very kindly goes, I think it's you. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I was afraid you were going to say that, you know. But it, it, it is what it is. And so she and I talked, and what she did for me was phenomenal. Um, she told me to fast for a few days. She would reach out to a couple of women. And, you know, so many days later, we'd all get together and we'd pray. So we fasted till that Friday. So this was Wednesday. So Wednesday to Friday, we fasted. And then so many women showed up at my house and prayed with me. And I have never felt love like that. I mean, I, can, I don't even remember how many of you there were. It's a blur now. But they all came and they all prayed with me and stood in agreement with me that I was not a slave to this world. I was free in Christ. And I had never truly embraced that. And I'm very thankful because I'm only 29, and I'm experiencing this. God is walking me through this at a young age. My parents are much older, and they're just now walking and learning the freedom that Christ has for them. And so I'm very glad that he is pursuing me at the age that I'm at, and I'm so thankful for that. But in this moment on that Friday, they just, they prayed, and they would not leave until the torment and the things inside of me were gone, and I was truly made clean. And my, I call it deliverance. My deliverance didn't just end there. I walked through that for like a year. You know, we had, um, at the church, we did the School of Prophecy, and I was fortunate enough to take part of that. And in that, I learned a lot about the Bible, but I also again, walked through deliverance from the things of my past. When you accept Christ, and I pray this happens for people, but when you accept Christ, in some cases, you're not just immediately made clean. It's a process. I see it as, um, what are they called? The guys that make the a blacksmith. Um, we watched Forge and Fire a lot. <laughs> but when they are working on a knife or a sword, whatever it is, they have to heat it really, 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 really hot. And then they smash it with a hammer. And that's how I saw God with my life, not in a violent way, not in a horrible way, but he was taking all of those impurities out. And if you know anything about that process is it is not a fast process. It takes a while to get those impurities out so that you have at the end this perfect tool, weapon, whatever it may be. And that's what God has been doing with my life, is he has been walking me through these phases of of purification so that I can be the most perfect, you know, Tory that there is available. Because in heaven, heaven's only perfection. 
we are not perfect down here. Through Christ, we are made perfect. And that process of refinement is not easy. It's brutal and it hurts. And it's, it honestly is not the most fun. But at the end of it, and from my experience, each time I released something that was not supposed to be with me, the Lord filled me so much greater, kind of like Job. Job received double of what he had lost. Every time we empty ourselves and we release those bad to God, he fills us with more and more and more of him. And so I had continued that path of deliverance as rough as it got. Um, One of the things that I had to walk through was deliverance from like depression and anxiety. Our two-year-old, our now two-year-old, after I had her, I'd sworn off babies. Haha, because I'm pregnant. Um, (laughs) Even after our first daughter, I would tell you I didn't want any more. At the end of my pregnancy with Dawson, so bless her, she was nine days late. I tell people it took a stick of dynamite for her to come out, TMI. Um, but she, I, I was in a really dark place at the end of that pregnancy. I don't think I talked to you for two weeks at the end of it because I was just done, like get her out of me. And then after Reagan, it was so much worse. I had Reagan, and everything was fine. It was great, but I was not. So she was born in 2020, in April 2020, in the midst of chaos, honestly, and so many unknowns at the time, and this is pre-the well. Um, After she was born, and sorry if this is news to you, I don't know if he knows how bad it got, but I had postpartum depression to the point that I didn't feel love towards my daughter. I felt completely empty when I looked at her and could not function as myself. And depression is something like I had years prior and I had been medicated for it and all of this stuff. And with Reagan, I finally got to the point where I was suicidal. I would think to myself, if I just went and laid in the bathtub, no one would know that it was on purpose. It would be an accident and things like that. So I, again, this is the Holy Spirit in me. He, he told me enough's enough. So I went to the doctor, and I was on medication for quite a while with her. Um, but that's one of the things that now I know will never be in my life again because I've released all of that. I've repented for it because I allowed it for too long to, to hang on me, to dictate my life, and to tell me that I'm not good enough. Now I know better, and I know I can stand firm in the Lord. And I even, in preparation for today, (laughs) was having a lot of dreams. I had one where tonight went horribly wrong, and it was terrible. And I woke up and was like, God, please don't let that happen. (laughs) And then the next night, I had a dream that I gave this flawless speech about horses and riding horses. And I was like, where did that come from? So I was... The Lord was like, if you can do that, then that's not going to happen. Like, if you can just spew out speeches about riding horses, then why don't you think it'll go well? And and then I had another dream, and I think, again, it was in preparation for tonight, um, that I was 
in my bedroom at my childhood home. I frequently dream about that place. And everything was black. And generally, in the studying that I've done, when you have dreams and it's dark colors and, you know, there's not much life to it, it's more of a, of a demonic dream. Um, in this particular dream, I was packing up all of this stuff from my childhood home. And looking back now, I'm like, why would I want to pack things from that place? It was great, but it was also where a lot of torment occurred on my life. So why would I pack and want to bring that with me? And uh, my mom came in, and I, we had to escape out my window, which is funny because it was on the second floor. But we made it safely to the ground, and the room burst into flames. And uh, as I'm walking her down the street, this man approached me, and he was horrible looking. And he grabbed my hand, and he was trying to feed my hand into his mouth, and I immediately started declaring Jesus. I said, I am a daughter of the king. You cannot. You have no authority over me in this moment. And I just kept speaking Jesus, and I even told him, my dreams are so real to me, you guys. It's like memories, you know, like childhood memories for me. I can pull them up, and it's like it just happened, even though it's a dream. Um, I even told this this guy that when I spoke the name of Jesus, he had, he was forced to flee. And my mom kept, in the meantime, I'm like holding my mom, like, don't let go of me because this guy's crazy and my room's on fire. And she kept looking back and I'm like, don't look back. Whatever you do, don't look back. And it reminds me of Lot's wife. The one directive that God gave them in that moment was do not look back. And she looked back. And what happened to her? She turned into a pillar of salt. And I believe that in that dream, the revelation that I've received from that is exactly what we're talking about tonight. Part of my testimony is that God will deliver us from the things that don't belong in our lives. And when he does, and this is something that I, it was like running into a brick wall last year sometimes, we become comfortable in those things, that once we're free from them, we want to go back to them because freedom is scary. Until we learn to put our trust and our faith in Christ and that his way is better than our way, this, this stuff back here seems so much better. And I, that to me, that's what that dream was a warning. Don't, like you're going to share, I knew the Lord wanted me to be very raw in my testimony tonight because there's a lot of it that I've always kept to myself. And if I keep it to myself, it may not, how am I going to help people? There may be somebody out there that has walked through something similar and hearing that I've done it and I've made it through, through God, that will encourage them too. And so I knew he was telling me, be raw. And so don't look back. Don't go pack up the things that tormented you in your old house. Let it go. I've burned it all. You're free from it. And uh, so anyway, I, I'm so beyond thankful for where the Lord has brought me. I know he has good things in store. We came, <laughs> we as in me and God, sorry, Scott, um, came into agreement one day. I knew he was telling me I would have another child. And after what I went through with Reagan, I was determined, no, I wasn't going to put myself through that. And it took a lot, um, a lot from God and I to come into alignment 
on that subject and praise him. You know, we, we <laughs> are now expecting, but I know that his promises for me are good. And I'm expectant, and I, I know that that's very bold. Um, but in one of the verses that I do stand on is in Matthew. It's Matthew 7, 7, and it actually popped up today. Why don't I read it because I don't want to misquote it. Um, it was, a, I have many verses that pop up daily to keep me in the word, but it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. And I stand on that. And I wait expectantly for the Lord to answer my prayers. And I think tonight was one of them. I remember um, Lucas's dad. What's his name? Dan Webb. Uh, last year, in like the fall or summer, he got up here and spoke about giving your yes. And at the time, I had felt like the Lord was saying, give your yes, that if someday you, you get the opportunity to speak, you speak. And I remember Mark going you and saying, I feel like the Lord's telling me that one day I'm going to talk in front of the church, so here's my yes if that ever happens. And a year plus later, here we are. He honors those things. He keeps his promises to us. They're all in the word. And we, so to stand firm in that, we have to go back and we have to know our word so that we know how good he is. So even when we walk through that valley, we can reference him and say, no, no, no. Jesus is here. He may not physically be here, but he dwells within me. His Holy Spirit is my advocate. He guides me. He gives me wisdom. My Father, my Creator has not left me. Those are all things that I have to remind myself of daily, especially being pregnant, because doubt comes in. You know, the, just a lot, of, a lot of attacks come to you when you're trying to create life. And in many places of the Bible, God tells us how we are created. You know, we're created in his image. He knit us together in his mother's womb. And I'm to a point now where I am so thankful for him that he has brought us here and he's gotten me here to where I'm, I'm even trusting in my faith so much that he's giving me a child. You know, I already have two, but I'm blessed with another at this point. And it's been a breeze of a pregnancy and I think, again, that is because I stand firm in his word. I stand firm in my faith and how good he is and how he will walk me through anything, no matter what it is. So that is what I have for everyone tonight. We want to thank you for listening in today. At The Will, we believe in cultivating a culture for more of God. Wherever you are in your relationship and walk with God, we believe that there is always more for those who diligently seek after Him. If you would like to find out more, please check out our website at thewellmichigan.com and connect with us on social media.